SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the grid. Football full circle here with my guy, Rich Ciarmanello. We're talking about college football, and we're finally... We, we've begun, Rich. As I've said, the motto for the college football season this year is college football 2020, we're doing it, which means that it could get a little weird. We're going to go over some of the things that have changed, but at least we have, we've had some games on this past Thursday night. We've got BYU Navy coming up today, so excited to finally get into some of these games. Obviously, the Power Fives start next weekend. Yeah, you know, the weird thing is sometimes I think about the motto that uh, you had and I just chuckle uh, because it could be taking a multitude of different ways. I still laugh over that. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's exciting. We've had a tumultuous off season. We don't know what's ahead. I, I think, to your point, uh, it's going to be an odd season like we've never seen before. I think there's going to be a level of attrition, whether it's uh, players, full teams, units that are impacted but this is what we have right now, and I'm ecstatic that we have an opportunity to talk about games in the rearview mirror, uh, games up ahead. You mentioned BYU Navy. Uh, next week, we have a more expanded slate of games. ACC starts to get into action. So, you know, I'm beyond the point of predicting what is going to happen from a health perspective and just very happy that we can talk about football on the field. Yeah, so before we get to that, Nicole Auerbach of The Athletics did a nice job breaking down of how the football season will be different. As much as we uh, make some lighthearted jokes about we're doing it, and you and I have expressed our concern about all of it, but understand that along the way, look, this has been a methodical approach for some of these conferences. We have talked to epidemiologists and infectious disease experts in order to get to a point where we think it's safe. College football, we've said many times, is in the crosshairs because of the nature in which they live. They're on campuses. We've seen outbreaks on these campuses, and we're hoping that it doesn't uh, transfer over to the players en masse, thus providing, you know, producing cancellations, postponements, and everything else. But here's some of the interesting things that are going to be different. No tailgating at most stadiums. Florida State is one of the few places expressly allowing it. Quote, patrons will be limited to individual tailgates at their own spaces. So tailgates are on the decline or eliminated in some instances. Inside the stadiums, Rich, expect to see a lot of pre-packaged concession foods, some of which will be able to be purchased contact-free with servers behind plexiglass, along with dots on the ground to attempt to socially distance the lines outside of restrooms. So that's a couple of changes uh, to start. Last one, and I'll let you comment. Miami's Hard Rock Stadium even upgraded its air conditioning filters from minimum efficiency reporting value 10 to MERV 10 to MERV 14, which is hospital grade. It's an attempt to make its indoor spaces safer. So you can't say that the schools in general aren't trying to keep people safer. I don't know about the tailgates. I don't know about the fans. But at least in most of these instances, they're trying to keep them safer. Yeah, the one uh, that we didn't even talk about yet is the fact that, uh, you know, these stadiums, the ones that will have fans, obviously will not be at full capacity. I, I think mm -hmm. we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 percent capacity, all of which, Mike, because 
you and I have been talking about this on air for the past three or four months, all of which is still probably better than maybe at times we anticipated, certainly better than the alternative. But, you know, one of the things I'd like to get your take on, uh, I'm excited to be watching football. And, and every week that we get, every weekend that we get to me is a gift considering the environment that we're in. But with all of the changes, especially for this particular sport, where there's so much tradition, so much pomp and circumstance, so much is really a community-wide feel. Go to Lincoln, Nebraska on a Saturday. It is football-based, obviously, but there's something, there's almost a, a church setting. There's almost a religious feeling about certain stadiums on Saturdays. The fact that it has changed so dramatically, we're going to be happy to see football, but when you realize that it's 20% capacity, no tailgating, a lot of the traditions, you know, the Grove at Ole Miss uh, may not be in existence this year. I just wonder at what point do fans possibly sit back and say, and this is really a weak facsimile from what I'm used to in the past. Yeah. You know, the first no, the first time I felt that way, because I was so excited to have baseball back and these other sportsmen watching the NBA, and the NBA doesn't seem terribly impacted by it. You know, the, the, the play has been um, intense, obviously. We're in the middle of playoff series. But the, I was watching the Yankees. I'm a Yankees fan. I was watching the Yankees this past weekend, and it was beautiful. It's a beautiful, like, 75, 80-degree day. They were playing a doubleheader. It was a perfect day for baseball. And there was nobody there. It was Yankees, Mets, and there was nobody there. And it was the first time I was like, ah, it's such a bummer that people don't get to go there. I understand why. I'm not trying to force yeah. people back. I probably wouldn't go personally if there was thousands and thousands of people around. But uh, that was the first time I felt that way. But uh, look, I think everybody's going to be happy to have uh, them back. I'll, I'll say one other thing. The ACC is allowing crowd noise to be pumped in. Uh, UAB which has an average attendance, which is well below the capacity as we welcome in our radio audience of where they play at Legion Field. Uh, they're removing seats down some of the aisles to allow for more room for people to pass by each other. So these types of modifications and uh, the NCAA has adjusted its rules regarding spacing, expanding team sidelines down to the 15 yard lines from the 25 to allow for more distancing, uh, officials' whistles will be electronic buttons and officials and coaches will be masked up. So lots and lots of precautions being taken, which I do appreciate. Yeah, and, and some of which, you know, sometimes we have these innovations. I, I wonder, Mike, moving forward, how many of these will continue just for safety, even in a post-COVID world? Yeah, agreed. Uh, Rich and I will talk a little bit more about the Pac-12 and what their latest plans are right here on The Grid. We'll be right back for, with more Football Full Circle. It's a college hour. Be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Sports Get on the grid. Back on the grid, talking about the Pac-12 and big news uh, this week for the Pac-12, which is still, uh, what's the best way to put it? They're still in a state of limbo, right? They don't know exactly what's going to look like. 
they're talking about starting practices all throughout the fall and maybe getting in a, a an abbreviated in, in the spring. Really will be winter, but potentially starting as early as January. They're in warm weather climates, so they could potentially do a save Utah, maybe Washington State. Northwest. But nonetheless, yeah. yeah. And Oregon too. You know, you start doing the math, you can eliminate Colorado. six. But yeah. whatever. It's not New York. It's not going to be 15 degrees. Yeah. Uh, you got Arizona, Mike, right? So that'll yeah, exactly, to, exactly. Yeah. Just play all the games there. In any event, we're they're working on what this season could potentially look like. They're obviously still in a. I think they're the ones in the in the most difficult position. Arizona and California, states where the huge spikes in COVID cases and an inability for the players to really practice, get on campus, uh, or anything else. But big news is that rapid testing. Seems like it's a real possibility. The Pac-12 is distributing a Kidel Sophia 2S to each school by the end of September, which means that rapid, accurate testing in as much as 90 to 95% in the 90s in terms of accuracy will be on hand for players, staff to be tested quickly. A huge breakthrough. Yeah, you're talking about results in 15 minutes, a dramatic improvement over what we're seeing right now. And, and, and that's the kind of confidence that universities, administrators, players, families, staff, uh, all would need at this point. And, and it would be a major step in the right direction, not just for college football, but from a societal standpoint as well. And you know, I, I know that Larry Scott, commissioner of the Pac-12, has already been talking to Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten, there's a lot of synergy there in terms of what they're learning from a medical perspective, uh, the testing from Quidel that, that you just mentioned, and the possibility that their schedules, and I would be excited if it's uh, health feasible, uh, there has been talk that possibly we could see Pac-12 Big Ten football before we reach the new year at some point, October, November, a lot has been floated. There's a lot of confusion right now. Uh, but that would be even a better scenario. I'm still a little bit dubious, Mike, in terms of spring football. There's so many hurdles to get over, question marks about you know playing even a condensed schedule in the same calendar year as a full schedule uh, later in August and September. If they can somehow pull this off, uh, I think the win would be just exponential for both conferences. And you know, Big Ten's really been the big headline maker as far as the major conferences not playing. Sort of interesting that the Pac-12 was finally able to make a splash because really haven't heard much out of the Pac-12 since they decided they weren't going to play football uh, so far this fall. Yeah, possibilities, is according to the LA Times uh, in the last week, the possibilities include six and eight game schedules starting as soon as January were discussed. Uh, one model involves only games within a team's division as part of a highly truncated season that would help the conference preserve a full 2021 fall schedule. And that's really the big challenge, right? We've talked about this many times. If you're going to have these guys go out there in January playing until March, how many games are you going to be comfortable with them playing before they come back out there ready to go? This time next year, September 5th, we're, we're doing it and we're playing yeah. a full season no modifications whatsoever. I think that's what people are really uncomfortable with. I personally am really uncomfortable with that. I would not want to see players playing 22 to 26 games in the course of a calendar year. I think it's too much for anybody and just has, frankly, as many lawsuits written all over it 
as does the COVID challenges. Well, let, let me ask you this question. I mean, we, we, we all know we're adults. We, we all know we've been around this business long enough to know that the primary driver to even have football in January, truncated schedule, as you said, uh, January, possibly February, we know this is driven by money. Sure. Let's take money out of the picture for just a moment. What is the other motivation to have a season in January, when basketball is taking place, you've probably already crowned or are about to crown, hopefully, a national champion. So you're not competing for a national championship. It's an abbreviated schedule. Uh, there's a very good chance that your stars have already left uh, for the pre-draft, pre-NFL draft process. So I get it. It's all about money. But beyond money, I mean, can you think of any other reason why you would even consider it at this point? Yeah, it's it it does not really make sense it, for me. Spring never made sense. I understand the desperation to get games out there, get revenue coming in, but I would be more I'll be more look, the Big 12 and Pac Big Ten, Big 10 and Pac 12 made decisions pretty early. If there's one thing that we've seen and you can criticize whatever government agencies you want at a federal level or at a state and local level for their responses to this. Rich and I are in the New York, New Jersey area. We had a lot of issues with the uh, pandemic hitting this area of the country, a heavy populated area early. There weren't as many therapeutic uh, treatments vetted yet, which they have now been vetted and appear to be working uh, to some extent in other parts of the country, created a lot of issues. But there's one thing that in New York, New Jersey, they were trying to do. And that was before they any made, made any major decisions, like closing schools for the rest of the year and going virtual, they kicked the can down the road a little bit. They didn't make hard decisions in March about school being canceled. They moved it out a little bit. I didn't think it was disingenuous. I thought they were honestly trying to get kids back into school if it was going to work out. <coughs> I felt like the Pac-12 and Big Ten could have done that same thing. Now, announcing it in August wasn't egregiously early. I just thought it was too early considering yeah. the other Power Five conferences were still in play and, frankly, were making plans as to what day to start. I agree with you. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I and I, I'm not privy to the information that the Big Ten, Pac-12 presidents commissioners had access to now just a couple of days ago on Thursday. Uh, Bleacher Report puts a report out saying that the Big Ten learned that between 30 and 35 percent of players who tested uh, COVID, even asymptomatic uh, cases, 30 to 35 percent uh, had uh, myocarditis, the, the heart condition, which sounds possibly a little bit worse than it is, but it's essentially a situation where there's inflammation of the heart. Yeah. Um, so the point of the matter is, in terms of the early decision, particularly from a Big Ten perspective, is we're learning new things on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And college football, almost as a whole, there are some exceptions. We have games uh, this weekend just a couple of days ago, and then later on we have BYU-Navy. But by and large, the major conferences – have pushed their schedule back, so there was more time. SEC doesn't start uh, until September 26th. Uh, Big Ten and Pac-12 could have done the same thing. So I tend to agree with that. That's one of the gripes that I agree with, which is 
could have waited a little longer, could have gathered some more information. Maybe you would have come to the same decision, but with more time, we could have learned a heck of a lot more than we knew. Uh, what, what was it about a month ago now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, keep in mind the PAC 12 has canceled everything to January one. Do you think if I asked you right now, do you think the PAC 12 tries to roll this back? Like the big 10 is trying to do in order to, uh, get football started. Do you think they'll try to do that? I, I think it's a lot more likely to happen from the big 10. Uh, you know, they're in the, they're mired in the midst of, um, a lot of negative feedback, a public relations disaster, a lot of which was their own doing. Uh, uh, legal cases, Nebraska now, uh, was it eight players from Nebraska have filed uh, a lawsuit against the Big Ten seeking more transparency and more information. We haven't really heard much of that from Pac-12 country at all. So Larry yeah, Scott and the Pac-12, I think they have a lot more uh, leeway to work with. And, yeah. and there just hasn't been the fewer that we have seen out of the Big Ten. So I think it's far more likely that if someone, you know, pushes this up, makes uh, an improbable decision to play in an October, November, uh, I think it would be the Big Ten. I would be surprised if we saw the Pac-12 before New Year's Day. Yeah, I, I thought the Big Ten, there was a variety of different factors there, calls from the president to the commissioner yep. and uh, everything else. But uh, I really thought, honestly, the the worst optic of all of it was that Ohio State wasn't playing and everybody else in the state was high school, Cincinnati, Bengals, Browns. I just thought that yeah. made them look uh, ridiculous to a lot of people. We'll come back. We'll talk BYU Navy after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. That We have football today, Rich. We are actually previewing football games. We've got two FBS games on the slate uh, for this weekend. The first of which, look, you didn't you know, always expect to kick off the season with uh, <coughs> no Power 5 teams playing, but it is what it is. And I'll take a little Red Wolves, Tigers, Arkansas State versus the Memphis Tigers. The spread right now, <coughs> recording this a little bit in advance, is 19 and a half right now. So Memphis laying a lot of points today. The total, a healthy 74 and a half. So Tell me a little bit about this game. What do you got here? Yeah, so, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not trying to, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't BS. I, I think I always tell it like it is. This is, a, this is a genuine feeling that I have. We have an abbreviated schedule, not just this weekend, but every weekend. It kind of excites me because it, it allows us, normally, you know, when you cover college football, you've got 50, 60, beginning of the season, sometimes 70 games uh, to have somewhat of a finger on the pulse. Now with an abbreviated schedule, you really can invest more time to teams from the Sun Belt, teams yeah. from the AAC like this. And I really like that because, you know, Memphis is gradually becoming a powerhouse on par with the UCFs of the world. Uh, High-powered offense, Mike Norvell is gone. Uh, you know, Coach Silverfield now takes over. Ryan Silverfield, former assistant coach. Brady White is back under center. Kenneth Gainwell, the star running back, decided to opt out just about a week ago. Had a lot of instances of COVID in his family. He became unsettled, decided to go uh, start to prepare for the NFL. But Brady White to DeMonte Coxey, one of the better pitch and catch combos in the country, 
It's a big number, Mike, but I expect to see a lot of points in this game. Think about this. Arkansas State last year began the season with Logan Bonner as the starting quarterback. He was lost early for the season. Lane Hatcher, former transfer from Alabama, comes off the bench, throws more than 30 touchdown passes for the season, but he can't hold on to the job because Logan Bonner has played so well this offseason that he has retained his starting job. So both teams have potent offenses. They get off the uh, they get off the edge very quickly defensively. So a lot of speed in this game, and I think it's entertaining. One other quick point: this is going to be such an unorthodox season. I I don't think you're going to you know it's it's, it's always a chalk type of a situation when it comes yeah. to college football. So you can count on your Alabamas, your Clemsons, your Ohio States. Well, Ohio State is up in the air. It looks like they're not going to have a season. I would not be surprised if one of these group of five teams doesn't run the table and potentially sneak into a playoff spot if we get that far into the season. Memphis has the horses to potentially be one of those teams. Yeah, I mean, 12-2 and two last year, played Penn State in the Cotton Bowl. I got all this stuff. Brady White last year, 4,000 yards, 33 touchdowns, 11 picks, if he can even fix that. Touchdown interception ratio, push it up a little bit higher. What do you think Brady White's prospects are long term? Yeah, Brady White, for folks who don't know, actually was initially a Pac-12 quarterback. So this isn't an under-recruited, you know, two-star kid uh, who just, you know, was fortunate to get an opportunity. Began in the Pac-12 at ASU, uh, has a live arm. I still think he has a long way to go at this point. And listen, this is why a lot of kids are like, hey, I've got to play this season. This is my opportunity to impress scouts. I can't opt out. I need to improve my stock. I see Brady White as a day three kid right now, but obviously with a chance to play eight, nine, 10 games, then have the pre-draft process could move his way up. But I don't think he's anywhere near that discussion of, of first round, second round type quarterback. I think middle of the draft next year, Mike, I think he could be a value pick. Okay, let's go to the other game that we got for Saturday and that it, or for this weekend, uh, BYU-Navy. So uh, excited about this one, obviously, occurring on Monday on Labor Day. So we get to watch a little something uh, on the holiday weekend. And by the way, happy Labor Day weekend to everybody else out there. So what do you think of this one? BYU hit by some injuries here as we get a little bit closer to the season, yeah. but and the game sits right now. The line is currently a one-and-a-half-point spread. Navy uh, is getting a point-and-a-half uh, at home. Yeah, the injury you talked about was an unfortunate one. You're probably referring to Matt Bushman, star tight end for BYU. Top target for Zach Wilson uh, was going to be one of the five or six best tight ends in the country. Injury took him out for the season. And, and again, we've talked a lot. Uh, throughout the offseason, Mike, about uh, durability, uh, depth, and how important depth is going to be. A lot, a lot of people will look and say, you know, Virginia, a couple of days ago, four kids decided to opt out for 2020. Big whoop, it was one starter, but the other three were backups. That depth could really be a factor once the season starts to grind on into the midway point. UCF had 10 players walk away as well. Perfect example. Tay Gowan out of the secondary was the star player. And the other nine kids, you're like, all right, you know, I'm not familiar with who they are. 
but they were going to get reps. And, you know, if the starter goes out, one of those other nine kids might have been called upon to move into the lineup. So losing Matt Bushman's a really big deal. I love this matchup because, you know, Kalani Sataki and his predecessors always do a really good job of having a nasty bare knuckle defense in Provo this year is no different. So they've had the entire offseason to prepare for Navy and the triple option. Navy breaking in a new quarterback. Dalen Morris will be under center, uh, replacing you know a, a quarterback in Malcolm Perry, who was spectacular throughout his career in Annapolis. But BYU, I'm going to throw two names out. Defensive tackle, Kyrus Tonga. Uh, linebacker, Peyton Wilger. Wilger, in particular, as a freshman last year, Got better and better and better. Finished the season really on a high note. I think he's a in, in a full season, Mike. I think he's a hundred tackle guy. I don't feel like doing the math right now. What that equates to right <laughs> now? Maybe maybe a seventy-five or eighty tackle guy for this season. But that defense of BYU versus the triple option of Navy—that's the game within the game. I'm really looking forward to. And Zach Wilson, who was not healthy last year, I think he's a big-time quarterback who could potentially play his way into the NFL draft if he could stay healthy uh, throughout 2020. Uh, you did the math pretty good. BYU playing uh, eight games right now on their schedule is Navy, Army, Troy, UTSA, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, and uh, North Alabama. So it's a little you bit win, of a... You win the opener in Annapolis, which is not going to be easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, can you run the table if you're BYU? Yeah, I think you can. I, I don't think it's a daunting schedule, yeah. but I, I think also I, I still we still don't know what the playoff is going to look like if there yeah. is one, what it would look like. But I don't think anybody's going to look at that schedule, even if they went eight and zero and had an average yeah. uh, points per game in the fifties and they yeah. won every game by thirty five points. I'd be people like, yeah, well, you should do that. It's not a it's not a legitimate championship level schedule. But I don't want any of those complaints. We're trying to be positive. Uh, for all of you out there saying, ah, just give BYU a chance. I, I am giving him a chance. I'm watching them on Monday. So, all right. So that total, though, is 49 and a half. What do you think there? A lot of you points know, in this I, one? Not really. Ma Navy yeah, games can be kind of tough, but uh, yeah. more higher scoring than a typical service academy. Team. Yeah, I, I would. Um, geez, I mean, in this day and age of college football, I, I, I would need to have my head examined to go with the under. But I, I don't see a ton of points in this game. Um, and again, Navy breaking in a new quarterback. Uh, BYU's strength is on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you lose Matt Bushman from the BYU offense. Uh, the running game for the past couple of seasons has been inconsistent for the Cougars. Um, and again, I, I would not bet on the under, but I don't think there will be a lot of points in this game. So let's wrap it up. Rich has got to go after this segment. Let's wrap it up with Jamie Newman. He decided to opt out uh, of his final season in college football. He transferred from Wake to Georgia. I, You and I have discussed sort of texting back and forth. While he is the number six ranked quarterback on Todd McShay's quarterback list right now, which generally doesn't have you in the first round. It, in fact, it never would. There's very rarely six quarterbacks in the first round. Uh, I thought he was the type of guy that could play and push himself further up. I don't know how much higher he would get. I don't know if he's going over Justin Fields and just Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance, but I thought he could have pushed himself up with a big season there. And now 
he's opting out. Not criticizing him. I'm just saying yep. I thought he was the type that needed to play more and not work out. Mike, I would uh, couch it exactly the same way, which is to say I can't question his decision. No, not uh, at I all. Don't, don't know the young man. Don't know what went his head. I'd be a fool to criticize him because I don't know the specifics. But what I do know is where he sits today in the eyes of NFL scouts, and then to your point, how much higher the ceiling could have been with a big season, right? A, a little over a month from now, he's going to be facing the Alabama defense and Nick Saban. Uh, if he's spectacular in that game, does he thrust himself into the first round discussion? It's possible. I think he has a world of talent. Loved watching him at Wake Forest. But doing it at Wake Forest is one thing. And then sort of tailing off. Look at the numbers uh, pre-Sage Surratt's injury, top wide receiver for Wake Forest, and post-Surratt last year was kind of a different Jamie Newman. He was not the same type of a quarterback. So he had a lot to prove purely from a professional NFL perspective, Mike. I was surprised he decided to opt out because the opportunity to impress and then really catapult himself into that late first round, early second round discussion was there. So it caught me by surprise. But again, I'm not going to, to question his decision because I don't know what, what's in his heart and what his head right now. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I wanted to say to Rich, uh, since this is the final edition of Football Full Circle for this offseason, thank you for joining me here. Uh, every other week. It was every week for a while, then it was every other week, but appreciate it. Always a pleasure to work with you. We'll catch you soon. You find him on Twitter, at Rich Ciermanello. Always great to work with you, buddy. I'll talk to you again soon. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back on the grid, bringing George Kurtz back in. Thanks to Rich Shermanello for uh, taking us through some major college stories. We'll be transitioning, sadly, George, away from this show for the offseason. George and I will be together on various shows all throughout the year. But football full circle goes away for the time being. We'll bring it back uh, post-football season, but we're moving over to different shows. I'll be doing college football today with Joe Lisi every Saturday morning from 10 to 12 and pro football today every Sunday morning. So I'll be your game day host basically all throughout the football season, 10 to one on Sundays, Ariel Epstein, Dane Martinez, my partners in crime there. And George, you'll be doing some in-game live and other shows as well. Yes. Yeah. So we're doing an in-game live. In fact, we start at one o'clock today. And then on the weekends, we're running in-game live from what Saturdays. I think it's from Noon to midnight and Sundays one to midnight, I believe, and I'll be a part of that uh, at some uh, at some time during the day, evening. Yeah, Saturdays will start at noon, right after college football today, and on Sundays it'll start at one, right after pro football today. So I'll be the lead into those shows. I'll be hosting in game live during the week, uh, covering other sports. I won't just talk football. So uh, let's talk. Let's focus back on football. A few uh, major stories this week. Uh, it feels because the news cycle is generating so many stories right now. This feels like it happened two weeks ago, but it was really like three days ago, George. Joe Mixon gets the extension from the Bengals. He was holding out with migraines, which I didn't believe at any point. 
uh, four-year deal worth $48 million, and he's a Bengal for the next five years. So Joe Mixon essentially will spend the big chunk of his career with the Bengals. Well, we can see where, what's happening here with the running backs, right? Yeah. I mean, when they're, they're starting to hold out, Zeke has held out last year. Now Mixon. Now Dalvin Cook made some noise earlier. Alvin Kamara. All right? And now Alvin Kamara. He's made some noise here. And I don't blame him. It's almost like the running backs need their own union, Mike, because yeah. the CBA is terrible for them. It's just terrible. Because a lot of these guys won't get major second contracts because they're over, the teams are going to feel like they're already used up. Some will. A lot won't. So, uh, you know, no one wants to play four or five years without getting the big money here. So I think we're going to see this more and more. I'm very curious to see what ends up happening with Saquon Barkley. You know, next season could be the same sort of situation where he wants to get paid, you know, and not be uh, locked up. So uh, we'll see what happens here. Good for the Bengals. Mixon is a, a very good running back on a team that, let's face it, not so good. Offensive line's had issues for a couple of years now, but he's still getting the job done here. Uh, Fantasy-wise, he's a first-round back, you know, top eight overall here in my mind. So uh, good for Joe Mixon. Yeah, uh, so where that puts him versus other running backs, let's see, in total guarantees, uh, let, me, let me try to do the math. Four-year deal worth 48. I don't have all the guarantees information yet on Mixon, but the average for him is 12. That puts him behind McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, Derek Henry. But keep in mind, this is a four-year deal. His earnout is likely to be a little bit better than at least a couple of those guys. We all know that Bell is not going to play under his current contract after this season. Derek Henry is likely going to play through his current contract through next year, and then we'll see what happens after that. But Mixon's still a pretty young guy. We've talked about this a few times. We talked about it with Fournette earlier in the first hour, talking about how he's really just 25 years old. Joe Mixon, not an old guy either. He gets the extension. So, look, I, I have a really I'm, – I'm bullish on Mixon this year as I was last year. I'm more so this year, if for no other reason, George, that it's consensus now. What worried about Mixon last year is people really started jumping on the bad wagon. I knew the Bengals were going to be terrible, and I didn't know how those would match up. This year, I think Mixon gets a really healthy dose of touches. I think the offense will be – improved offensive line is better joe burrow at quarterback so i just think that helps the efficiency of mixing i would agree i want to get a lot of it will, of course depend on joe burrow right can he be yeah. uh can he be better than what andy dalton was uh last year andy dalton was at one point an average a good average quarterback and certainly not great i don't know if burrow's going to reach those heights immediately but he's got some weapons can aj green stay healthy as well i mean i think that's sure. a big thing here this guy's had Lots of issues with health over his, uh, the past couple of years here. Still, the Bengals made a mistake there in not trading A.J. Green. Uh, once again, I know it was a bad year to do it. He was hurt. It was a wide receiver heavy draft. They may not have gotten a big return. But I still would have liked them to see, uh, at least try, maybe want to talk to the Packers at one point when they didn't draft a wide receiver. But, hey, it is what it is. But I think the key there is that offensive line is better, and that's good no for one. Yeah, important uh, additions there for them on the offensive line over the last – couple of seasons their first round pick from last year uh did not play due to an injury uh he'll be back protecting uh the line and protecting joe burrow uh, as we go into the 2020 season so uh that's really big news there kamara still waiting on more news there but another extension that happened this week you know what george offensive linemen are people too and ryan kelly got a big fat extension uh from the indianapolis colts 
They are signing the former 2016 first-round pick to a four-year, $50 million extension. It includes $34 million guaranteed and makes him the highest-paid center in the league, tying him to the Colts for the next five seasons. And keep in mind, many of these contracts are extensions, so they'll pay them the last year of their rookie deal and then tack on another four years here. But Colts locking it up. They're they're going old school. Line play, baby. Brenson Buckner, Ryan Kelly. They locked up Anthony Costanzo. They got guys here that will help Phil Rivers and this core of young wide receivers and obviously stable of running backs for the next couple of seasons at least. You know how I feel. Offensive line is a key to really your entire offense. Mm-hmm. If you have a good line, this is why we think that maybe, you know, Philip Rose will play better this year, right? Because the Colts, one of the best offensive lines in football, if not the best. So he'll have more time to throw the ball. You know, and I think that's going to be a big thing uh, for them. Listen, I'm the Cowboy fan. I don't think there's any doubt that the Cowboys got better when Jerry Jones stopped drafting you know, celebrity players or high-profile players and was talking to drafting the Zach Martins of the world, the Travis Fredericks of the world. It literally made them Super Bowl contenders. It made, well, I don't know if I go that far, but it made them a good team again. You know, it made them a good team again where they can, they're watchable because they didn't draft Johnny Bensdale. They were talked about in Super Bowl. Were they actual Super Bowl contenders? Obviously not. They didn't get to the Super Bowl. They didn't get particularly close to the Super Bowl, but uh, there might be coaching issues that were a part of that, which I'm sure you'd be. Ownership issues, lots of issues. Detail. Well, they cut HaHa Clinton Dix this week. What do you think of that? Uh, we, that would have been rumored for a little while now, that he wasn't playing all that well, you know, that they, they might move on from him. I know the speculation is going to happen now, right? Oh, that means Earl Thomas, right? Earl Thomas must be coming in. It doesn't look like it. I mean, maybe, once again, there could, could be haggling going on here. They're trying to get, or trying to wait Earl out where he has no other choice but to accept a lower contract from the Cowboys or – a one-year deal, one-year make-good deal, incentive-laden. We'll see what's going on here. But uh, I can tell you, once again, it's all coach speak, mind you. But I can tell you, the Cowboys are happy with their current safeties in camp. I mean, once again, Woods, you can take it for whatever you want here. That's what they're saying here. The fact that they released Ha Ha Clinton Dix, in my mind, means one of two things. They're telling the truth about what they like, or Ha Ha was just that bad. I wasn't to, super impressed with him recently, and I wasn't very impressed with it as a signing. He's bounced around the league a bunch. Uh, doesn't mean he's out of the league. I'm sure he'll get a job somewhere. But he wasn't one of the offseason additions that I looked at with Dallas. I was like, oh, they got high on Clinton Dix. There's some problem solved. Byron Jones out, Clinton Dix in. Uh, I didn't really think of it in that, those terms. Uh he, I think he had to be that bad for them to bring in a veteran like that and not even make it to week one. I, he had to be pretty bad. Maybe well, he's he knows McCarthy. With... You would have thought McCarthy. I think one of the reasons they brought him was he, oh, he knows McCarthy. He knows yeah. McCarthy's way. Not that Mac- he knows McCarthy's system because McCarthy's an offensive guy. He's got to but... be dealing with an injury or being out of shape or something along those lines. An injury that's making him out of shape. It's got to be something like that. I, he didn't I just agree. forget how to play football. It just I, doesn't work. I like agree that. with you. I, th- I think you're right. For him, for them to le- let him go now, you know, talking to know, you know, week before the season means something. Something's just not right there. You know, and uh, Dallas has decided to move on. But I, listen, I've heard, I've heard about this for at least a week to 10 days, even before Earl Thomas got released, that Dallas was not all that happy with HaHa. Yeah. Uh, okay, last one for this segment. Zach Ertz contract talks have come to a halt, which is weird because they had resumed talking about a contract extension. I say it's weird because 
We've now had to read over the last six months or so, maybe longer, George, a variety of different stories about Zach Gertz. And we're like, at the end of the year, he seemed to be almost saying to media members, well, I'll see you around. I don't know how long I'm going to be around. Those types of stories were starting to surface. Like, well, we have Dallas Goddard now, and we have all these young receivers. We're going to ultimately have to pay somebody. And now one of the young receivers doesn't appear to be working out, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is sort of flushed away after the first year in Philly. Uh, we know Alshon Jeffrey isn't working out because he can't stay healthy. He won't be there long term. They got Jalen Rager in here. He's a rookie. He's already hurt. Is Goddard going to be Ertz? People like him, but can he really be as good of a pass catcher as Ertz? <laughs> you know, we're dealing with a lot of different stuff here concerning the Eagles. And when it comes down to it, Ertz has been incredibly reliable for them. Well, I think your problem is this. Well, Phil, I shouldn't say your problem. Philadelphia's problem is this. We know Ertz is good. He's really good. And you need him, right? Because the only two reliable pass catchers right now are Ertz and Goddard. That's it. Now, Rigor's already hurt. You mentioned Jeffrey's hurt. Everyone seems to be hurt in that team. We're unreliable there. Uh, so you're asking a lot of Carson Wentz to throw to these guys. So you need Ertz. Now, you insulted him with this latest offer, right? Because it was right. less guaranteed money than the other offer. I mean, what are you doing? Seriously, what are you doing? I, I don't understand that, why you would insult the guy. It's yeah. not like he doesn't know what – he'll get more money from someplace else, so why do that? But the Eagles are also – I believe they're one of the heaviest uh, cap mortgages coming up where they're oh, well – I mean well over the cap. Yeah. And we know the cap's coming down. That's right. So they've got issues there. I'm sure they love Ertz and want to resign him, but got it is good. He's not Ertz, but he's good. Can you afford to pay two top tight ends? I, mean, I think that's what it comes down to for me, Mike. Can you afford to pay play two top tight tight ends and I don't know if they can yeah so per the report via Ian Rappaport uh, their latest offer as George said included less guaranteed money than a November offer included and included less cash annually than the deal Austin Hooper signed with the Browns as a free agent in March not to mention that Austin Hooper's deal has been surpassed twice in recent weeks with by the signings of George Kittle uh, the great the largest deal ever and Travis Kelsey who re-upped with the Chiefs to keep him in Kansas, in Kansas City likely for the rest of his career. He has a base salary of $6.6 million this year, set to make $8.25 million in 2021. So there is time here. But as you noted, you start making offers like that, and guys that are on your team, you're going to create some animosity in the locker room, even if everybody understands that there are salary cap issues. They don't want the issue to be them. They want it to be someone else. I agree. I said, I, I think Philadelphia handled this terribly. Absolutely terribly. If you're going to insult them, then don't make any offer. You know, or, I understand Philly's probably thinking, okay, we're in trouble with the cap here. we got to see if you'll sign cheap. But if we turned down the last offer, what made you think he's going to accept this offer? You know, it, it's weird thinking. It's just weird thinking. Like you said, it's not only offends Earth, but it offends other people as well. People take notice of this stuff when you, when you make... Really, when you make cheap offensive offers like this. So they have $23 million in cap space now, which they're trying to hang on to for the very reason George uh, talked about earlier. As of right now, the 2021 cap space for the Eagles is negative $47 million, based on a $215 million cap number. If that number does come down to 175 you can start doing the math. That's another 40. They're 87 million in the hole. They will not be able to cut that much without the team looking drastically different. So again, that's still in flux concerning the cap for next year. But even with a $215 million cap, they have to find 
nearly $50 million in extra room. So uh, tough place to be. George and I will come back to close out this hour of football full circle. Are the Jags not tanking in 2020? SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Uh, Football Full Circle closing it out. Last three minutes. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And George, earlier this week, Doug Marone assured us all that despite... Releasing Leonard Fournette and training Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe. I feel like I said that weird. Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick. They they were not tanking. And he tried to do regular man's logic, which is, hey, if we lose a lot of games, I'm out of here. And so is Dave Caldwell. To which I would say, yeah, you're out of there. They traded yet another player after that. Ronnie Harrison is starting safety to the Browns for a fifth round 2021 pick. So they're really extracting tons of value out of these picks, too. They released one guy who was a first round running back. Hey, we couldn't get a fifth. We couldn't get a sixth. We couldn't get a seventh. Yeah, because you didn't do this the right way. And you didn't get what you should have gotten for Ngakwe because you didn't do it the right way. And you've come in last place eight of the last nine seasons, I believe, something like that, seven of the last nine. They've lost double-digit games every year for eight of the last nine years, George, and it's going to continue. They have the lowest total on the board on FanDuel at four and a half. I don't see how they're going to get above that. I think they're not trying to tank because the players never are. Do I see a Miami situation where they're 0-7 and then they go 5-4? and Absolutely not. I think this team is lost. I think you got a bunch of guys that'll be out there playing hard. It's not their fault, but they got, they went like the Philadelphia 76ers trust the process route. There's not enough good players here to win any game, so it doesn't matter how hard they play. Oh, I agree. Listen, uh, you said it. the players don't tank, because the, once again, the players need jobs. They're always going to want to show up on film that, that they're trying and playing well. It's ownership that tanks. And by ownership, I mean the GM. They tank because they're going to make these trades and not get anything to help them back this season. I don't think the Jaguars do anything wrong, mind you, as far as trading these players away. The value's not there. You know, I'm not going to rehash what you already did. You're, you're right. They screwed that up. But they're, they're not playing for this year. And there's no way they're going to get the four and a half points. They don't want to win this year. They want to tank for Trevor, lose for Lawrence, whatever you want to call it, get that number one pick next year, and get their quarterback of the future. That's what they're playing for. We see this in all sports now, right? You need either need to be very, either need to be a playoff contender or you need to be terrible and get the number one pick. I remember last year, real briefly, we talked about how few fantasy assets were on the Jags this year, or last year. How many do you think are there this year? Valuable assets. DJ Chark, who else? That's it. Minshew? And Superflex as a backup quarterback? Sure. Armstead? Reserve? Sure. Bad times in Jacksonville. Thanks on behalf of Brian Lukowski, George Kurtz. I'm Mike Blewett. Thanks for watching FFC. Get on the ground. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.